welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. Genesis chapter 4, let's get to the message because I've got a couple or three of them tonight, so it'll be a little while. If you're hungry, just hang on. There's no reason to get in a hurry. Give me God's house to soak up the word. Amen? Amen. All right, so I want you to start soaking. It says in verse number 8, actually let's start in verse number 1. And Adam knew to Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. Instead of gotten a man from the Lord, and she, bare, uh, she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. <coughs> and in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel in his offering. But unto Cain in his offering, he had not respect. Now notice who disrespected his religion. God did. God disrespected his religion. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. See how you behave when you get mad at God. All problems are spiritual problems. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth and why is thy countenance falling? He says, Your face is telling on your heart. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Notice as the resentment festered, look what took place. You see, when you have envy and you have a person who's offended, it reaches a state of murder. When you become envious as a child of God and your heart has been offended, you become resentful and bitter you have the potential to do anything, including your own brother. And Cain, verse 8, talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? When you get back, you get a smart aleck retort, don't you? Your mouth gets hot. And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Because of this, he goes on in verse number 12, and he says, When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. I want to preach on the thought, spiritual vagabonds. Father, thank you for your grace. Help us to learn, to grow, mature, to change from what we were yesterday. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I, I, I grew up in church and I got saved when I was 16 years old, 1989. I've been preaching for, for almost uh, 22 years. You know, I, I, I haven't been behind the pulpit all my life, but I've been around the pulpit all my life. And I've seen a lot of spiritual vagabonds. I've seen a lot of people in God's house that, that, that have the same problems year after year after year. And, and you know what? As a young preacher, I, I kind of deceived myself and I thought that, you know what? It's simple. You just preach the truth. You preach the Bible. People listen to it. They soak it up and they go, wow, that makes complete sense. And they change. You know how dumb I realized I was? Most people do what they do and they are because they've chosen to be who they are. See, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. 
It doesn't matter if it's culture or if it's habit, whatever you want to label it to be. The most dangerous thing we can do is the same thing over and over and over again and expect different results. A Christian that's growing is changing. Most Christians I know, I shouldn't say most, but a huge percentage in our churches are simply running from their past. They're spiritual vagabonds. When confronted with truth and righteousness and and error or their own personal sins and and weights that they have in their life. Can, Can we stop and listen for just a minute? That's what church is for. I don't want to go to church where where the pastor doesn't reveal my problems, where the pastor doesn't rebuke and reprove and exhort with all long suffering. If I go to church and it doesn't, I mean, I mean, the blows don't come from the Holy Spirit of God. I'm going to go somewhere else. I don't want to go somewhere where it's, oh, you're beautiful. You got, I love you, people. You're just thinking, good night. You don't know these people, do you? I want to go to some church where I can get some preaching from God's Word and I can change and change and change. Our problem develops when we have heard and we know what to do and we don't. That's why the Bible says in the book of James, him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I've seen people that have the same reoccurring problems for 10 and 15 and 20 and 25 years saved Born again, children of God, but nothing is changing. Why? Because they've chosen to be what they want to be. You've heard the statement, you can't teach old dogs new, but it's a lie. It doesn't matter your age, you can change. I've heard old preachers, I've heard middle-aged preachers, I've heard young preachers say, well, this is who I am, so just accept me. Change. Lifelong leaders or lifelong learners, you must say, Holy, dear God, by the grace of God, show me what needs to be changed. Otherwise, you're going to become a spiritual vagabond. You're going to go through life running from your past, running from who you are instead of changing who you are. Changing churches doesn't change you. How do you know a spiritual vagabond? Number one, they spend their life running instead of changing. See, sin hides in our life where there's no heat, where there's no trials, and familiarity brings contempt. And when you get around the brethren who know who you really are, it's only a matter of time until you show them who you really are. Because who you really are always comes out. How many of you know Brother Dave Merrault? Who he is, you know. How many of you know Robbie Simpson? Who he is, it's all, hey, hey, I can go down the line. And who you are, people know who you are. It's only a matter of time. Now, how many times have someone gotten away from God, and you know what they said, I cannot come back to church. Why not? Well, people know who I am. You're not coming to church for people, soldier. You're coming to church for God. We have this idea, well, if people know who I am, guess what? They look in the mirror, they're probably a lot like you. You never make progress in your life when you run from your past. You make progress when you change who you are. Take your Bibles quickly to, to uh, let's look over Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 13. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 13, it says there, actually look at verse number 8. Harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me. He says in verse number 12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God and exhort one another daily, which is today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Is there anything more deceitful than sin? I'm telling you, it will mash you up. 
Take your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 48. You watch people get into sin and the levels they reach and the process of thinking they have. And you say, where in the world and how in the world can they think that way? Because sin is deceitful. Every time you have gone back into sin, it was the deceitfulness of sin that just like sprang up in your mind and you thought, hold it, I'm going to get away with it. I don't see the consequences so it can be successful in my heart. And you always prove yourself wrong. And sin hides where there's no trials. Sin hides where there's no afflictions. Uh, God purifies us through trials and, 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 and trials and afflictions. And if we respond to those, He removes, removes the impurities from our heart. Isaiah 48. If you found it, say amen. Look at verse number 10. It says there, Behold, I've refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted and I will not give my glory unto another. You know what he's saying? He said, I'm refining you in the furnace. Hey, guess what? The trials will come in every single person's life. You don't run from them. Problems you don't run from, you run to. You must turn. You've got to face them. You've got to fight them. You've got to fix them. Don't run from them. Majority of people don't know how to resolve and fix problems. They have this giant carpet in their life. They raise it up and they sweep it under. <laughs> Can't see nothing. You, you probably, your favorite book was The Emperor's New Clothes, wasn't it? Your favorite animal is the ostrich because he sticks his head in the ground. But the reality is the problem is still there and you're going to trip over the carpet. You must say, what can I fix? And one t- at a time you reach under, you pull one out and say, let's fix this today. Hey, let's fix this today. Hey, let's fix this today. And those afflictions and trials have come and you better rejoice at them because it's God's school. He's enrolled you in where you can take an opportunity to purify some things in your life. Pure gold is soft and pliable. When it has no other metals in it, but when, it's, when it has metals in it, it's hard and corrosive. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. You just hang on and I'll get to the message eventually. 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse number 6, the Bible says there, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptation that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor the glory of the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love. Isn't that wonderful? See, if you're going to be a spiritual vagabond, you keep running from your problems. If you want to grow and be conformed to the image of Christ, you deal with your problems. We run from our problems uh, because, you know, there's nobody that will not deal with this. It is human nature to be offended. Here you have Cain and Abel, and here his brother simply, this is all he did. He obeyed God. Think about it for a minute. All you have to do is God's will for your life. You obey God with your life, and someone will get upset at you. That's all you have to do. Here, here the boy, he does God's will. He does a proper sacrifice, and he gets respect from God, and Cain gets none. Mark it down. Listen to this closely. When someone's angry at God, they will hurt people. He was angry at God and he killed his own brother. 
All bitterness is bitterness against God. God's hand of provision, protection, and providence in your life knows all about you. Sit back and relax and quit stressing. You're in God's will, just enjoy it. You'll become a vagabond when your will gets clouded over God's will. When your will becomes more important than God's will. When you get offended and sensitive. I, I, there was a period of time last year where I, uh, you know, it seemed like it didn't matter where I turned. Someone was on my nerves. I mean, I was down to one nerve and they were on it every time. I mean, the ministry became pressure. I mean, people, it's like the bus drivers couldn't, couldn't I mean, we, we burned up three engines and two transmissions. That takes skill. Do you feel bad about yourself already? I mean, problem after problem. I mean, I'd walk up and I was getting ready to, I mean, I'd bite people's heads off and I love these people. And you know, I said, you know, the ministry's become pressure. I said, what happened to, to the joy of the Lord? And everybody looked mean and rough and tough. Then I looked in the mirror and realized, Pastor James, you need a checkup from the neck up. I made a decision at the altar one Sunday morning. I said, dear God, listen, I want to start enjoying people again, enjoying the ministry again. And you know what I did? I lowered my expectations for people. And I said, I'm going to start loving people where they are and not where I expect them to be. And if they're late, I can still love them. If they're not perfect, I can still love them. If they burn up an engine, it's just an engine. Let me rephrase that. You understand, you know, it's so, it, we, we have this perfectionism attitude that you, you're only lovable if you're like me. And the Bible clearly says, comparing ourselves among ourselves, you are stupid. Amen. Well, the King James vernacular says you're not wise. In Texas, I mean, you're stupid. Let me tell you what happens when you start running from your problems. You become sensitive because they're not solved. Pride clouds your perspective. And don't miss what I'm about to say. When you become sensitive, your sensitivity will kill your teachability. When you're running from your problems, you know about your sin. The pastor gets up and preaches, and he can preach, and there'll be 40, 50 people here. I mean, he throws rocks in their garden. Boulders land on your, their roof, and you say, the pastor's talking to me. Suddenly got sensitive, didn't you? He was preaching to everybody. He didn't think about, I don't know how many times some people up, upset at me. I didn't know anything was going on in their life. I was preaching what the Word of God said. I was preaching what the Holy Spirit of God put on my heart, and I'm Pastor, I know that you know. <laughs> well, thank you for the credit. But you know what? That was a Holy Spirit dealing business in your life. Amen. See what happens when you're dealing with unresolved sin and issues in your life? You become sensitive. And when you're sensitive, you're not teachable. Because you'll get offended. Great peace have they which love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. Get back to loving God and loving others and you'll start enjoying it. You become a know-it-all. Someone said it's what you learn after you know it all that matters. You can't teach a know-it-all anything. People ask me about what so-and-so in the ministry, how do you think they're going to do? Well, the first thing I look at, are they teachable? If a person's not teachable, everybody is my teacher. When I was in high school, I had several teachers. Then you go to university, you have more teachers. And then you go into life, everybody's your teacher. I can learn from everybody. Amen. It's, it terrifies me. In my past where I realized how much time I wasted learning so very little. 
Spiritual vagabonds are sensitive people. They're not teachable people. You know the second thing, how you can recognize a spiritual vagabond? Their expectations lead to lots of disappointments. See, all disappointment comes from unfulfilled expectations. We have this sense of expectation in a relationship. We get married and we say, my, my, my husband or my wife is going to solve all my problems. They're going, to, they're going to meet that emptiness in my life. They're going to meet that need in my life. Uh, uh, my children are going to meet that moment of loneliness in my life. My parents are going to, be, are going to, are going to meet my needs. My, my, you know, I get to university, they're going to pay my bills and they're going to take care of everything I need in my life. And you, you, can I tell you something? Nobody can do that for you. That's God's job to meet your needs. That's God's job to fill your loneliness. That's God's job to help deal with your depression. That's God's job to help sort out what you don't have in your life. And God's not going to let somebody steal that position from him. If I could just find a pretty girl, I'd be so happy. No, you wouldn't. Because God will not let somebody steal his place. People have expectations from other people, from God, from their boss, from their pastor, from their spouse, and they're going to be disappointed because they put their expectations in someone when we should place our expectations in God. I have my confidence in God, but you know what? At the end of the day, God's in charge. If you're a busy person, God has never moved fast enough for you, has he? Maybe you guys are different than I am. (laughs) But when he moves, he moves very fine and thorough. But, but I'm always, God, what are we waiting on? I've been ready. Maybe it's my ADHD. I'm not sure. God, I'm off my meds. Help me. <laughs> People go through life and they say, what are you living life for? Well, I just, want, I just want to be comfortable. I just want to be contented. I just want to be happy. How many of you heard that statement? I just want to be happy. What is happiness? Well, everything around me is good. That never happens. Happiness is dependent upon happenings. That means if you have bad happenings, you have a bad day. Good happenings, you're happy. That's not Bible. Bible says control your flesh, bring your, your, your emotions under control, cast down those wrong imaginations and anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And the Bible says bring every thought into captivity. Get control of your flesh. Otherwise, we're sitting around without expectations. Or, well, I expect them people to behave that way. I expect those teenagers to be that way. Oh, how, what kind of, how kind of behavior is that? How come they're acting so? Don't they have better behavior? You know, when I was a youth, we didn't behave that way. It's terrifying how we compare everybody else through our personal perspective. We've got to remove the beam from our eyes. We're going to live disappointed because our expectations are so high. We're seeking happiness. The number one cause of unhappiness is the pursuit of happiness. And pride causes us to see ourselves as a victim. We've got to step back and rejoice with the suffering that takes place in our life. Let me ask you a question. I know as a fact tonight there's people here, you're spiritual vagabonds. You haven't changed. You're still running from that thing that can help you. Run to it. Face it. Fight it. Fix it. Deal with it. I was in juvenile detention center one night. Young man was there. And I said, how many times have you been in jail? He said, 25. I said, you like it? He said, no. I said, why you keep coming back? You know why? Because he doesn't want to change. Number third reason, and I'll be finished. The reason people become vagabonds because they don't see the peril 
of their privilege. You know, the more prominent you are, the more danger you have around you. The more, the more opportunities you have, the more promotion you have, and the, and the more privileged you are, the more peril you'll face in your life. Let me just show you quickly. The Bible says in, uh, I think it is uh, 1 Chronicles. We have a great example here in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. His name is Solomon. <clears throat> 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse number 8, the Bible says there, David is preaching to his son, and he says there, he says, Now therefore in the sight of all Israel, the congregation of the Lord, and the audience of our God, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, that ye may possess this good land, and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart, with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imagination of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Hold it, Solomon, you are the wisest man who ever lived. You're privileged. You are the king. You're the leader of Israel. But mark it down. The higher you are promoted and the more privileged you become, the more peril you're at risk. The higher you are on a pedestal, the more danger you have of falling. The devil is sure to set a snare for you. Look at 1 Kings chapter 2. When Satan sees you have, your, your, you have spirituality... You have a desire for an almighty God. He's going to lay a snare at your feet and a snare at your heart. 1 Kings chapter 2, if you found it, say amen. amen. I like what it says there in verse number 1. Once again, now the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of the earth, be strong therefore, and show thyself. A man. Look at verse number 4. That the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their ways to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he. A what? A man on the throne of Israel. He said, guess what? You're privileged to serve. You're going to be a man. You're going to get the job done. Now look at chapter 11. 1 Kings. Chapter 11. Verse, there's three things he told him not to, to turn to, not to go to chariots, not to follow women, false gods, and not to go after money. It says in chapter 10 and verse 29, and, the, and a chariot came up and went out of Egypt for 600 shekels of silver. Look at verse number 1, chapter 11. But King Solomon loved many strange what? Women. Verse number 4. For it came to pass when Solomon was old, that his wives did what? Turned away his heart. Satan uh, will, will test you. He'll lay a snare for you, young man. He's aiming for your heart. Oh, yes, he'll trip up your feet, sir. But he wants your heart. There's the pride of intellect. There's the there's bodily self-indulgence. There's a, a casual compromise that we want to do when we get older. There's a, a peril of personality. There's a temptation to depend on personality and not depend on God. And it will destroy you. The higher you go, the more uh, 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 guns are aimed at you, the more arrows the devil's going to shoot your way. Look at 2 Corinthians uh, Chronicles chapter 7. There's a peril of privilege. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Here you look at, 
I'm telling you, this guy blows my mind. Solomon, was there anybody better? Look what took place in verse number 12 of chapter 7. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I've heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be opened, my ears shall attend unto the prayer that it be made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Here is Solomon. He's in the peril of privilege. He's a privileged person. He knew everything. Wisest man who ever lived. He, he, he mastered wisdom and knowledge. He was promoted in spiritual and moral values. He knew the claims and the promises of God. He knew the power of temptation. He understood the power of women. He understood the power of wine. He understood the weakness of his heart. He knew the consequences of sin. Yet, listen closely, he determined to risk everything for nothing. You know what I see? I see canes in our churches. They're spiritual vagabonds. They're willing to risk everything in their life for nothing. He tore down in his afterlife what he built up in his former life. He undid with one hand what he did with the other hand. And when he died, he only left a shadow of remembrance. Why would someone risk everything for nothing? Because sin is deceitful. Here is Solomon. People came from all over the world. Please put away your cell phones in the church. You, you know, that's a shame to behave that way in God's house. That, was, that wasn't not on my notes, so it came from the heart. There's, there's the peril of privilege. There's the peril of, of personality. Personality is a garden of pride. It's where per, the seeds of pride are sown and, and they bear fruit. Personality can be your glory instead of God's glory. Personality can be substituted for God's power. And then Solomon dealt with the peril of posturing. He tried to prove who he was. I watch young people try and posture. I like watch people in work environment posture, trying to be important. Ladies and gentlemen, do me one favor. Come to God's house and relax. You don't have to have any rank or status. Well, I am not in one of the singing groups. You know, I'm just a nobody. You know, you, when you said you're a nobody, you just told everybody you're full of pride. I praise God. I don't have to be anybody. I don't have to be a nobody. I don't have to be somebody. I can just relax. Can you come to God's house and just not sweat anything? The only person I really have to make happy is God. And I don't know about you, normally after every service, after every preaching, I, I want to be, I, I, I'm ready for the altar before the message is ready. Hurry up, preacher, I'm on my way. I'm revving my engine, I'm coming down. I need to get some things fixed because that's what I came to God's house for. I didn't come to run, I came to get in. And if you don't want to change, you're in the wrong place. I had a preacher call me one time and said, so-and-so come to your church. I said, sure. So watch out. And I said, why? He says, you're the 16th church she's going to. You know what you need to do, ladies and gentlemen? Plant yourself on purpose. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth to see the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and 
And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of... No better place than God's house to get planted. God didn't tell you to come to church to... Well, this is just for a stage of my life and I'm in this church to take me to the next level so I can go to another church and they'll take me... What kind of dotishness is that? Yeah. <laughs> I get real Jones out of people. Let me tell you, you know, right now I'm just going through a growing stage here. I'm not going to be here long. Listen, if God planted you here, don't you try and do the transplanting. Because you know how we think? As soon as someone hurts your feelings, you say, I think God wants me to move on. You're nothing but a coward. You're, you're a spiritual vagabond. God dealt with you and you're running from it. The, the word offense comes from the Greek word scatalon, which means the center of a trap. When you're offended, you step right in the middle of the devil's trap. And that trap comes down, closes on you, and you're going, oh, oh, and your pride just, the barometer of pride goes up, and you become satanic, right, in God's house. When God's planting you somewhere, don't start thinking about transplanting, because every time you transplant yourself, you become weaker. You ever look at someone's business resume? Well, I'm qualified. I've worked 12 jobs in one year. You need to get planted, soldier. You need to deal with some personal issues that are not fixed. Some people, you can tell by the resume, they're just transplanters. They can't deal with any problems. They can't sort anything out. They can't make good decisions. And they have a consistent pattern that goes before them. Children of God, listen today. Identify your weakness and fight it. When someone exposes your weakness, they're your friend. The mirror is not mine enemy when I wake up in the morning. Because, when, listen, those storms of life, when they come to you, let them push your roots deeper into the ground. Don't try and pull yourself. Well, there's some people I don't like. Let me just tell you what I think. They're not as spiritual as I am, so I'm just going to go somewhere else. You just told on yourself. Those giant sequoia trees in California, you almost never hear them fall over because their roots go underground and they weave together and they work together like a community. And when the storms come, guess what? They all support each other. You, when you're outside of God's house, you're out there and you're, you're hanging out with the Philistines and you're, you're liming with the daughters of Timnah. You're hanging out in Egypt and you think Pharaoh's your best partner? When the blows from God come, you're sitting there with the, in the pig pen of this world, chewing on the husks. You're going, boy, this is fun. Ladies and gentlemen, sin is deceitful. Don't go that way. Get in God's house and dig your roots deep. Years ago, I had some businesses here. And one of them, what we put, uh, we put in grass sometimes. You know one thing I found about grass? Is you've got to water it for I forget how many weeks straight. It's got to be wet because, because if you just give it a little bit of water, the roots go down. And if the roots don't go down deep, the grass will die. And if you water for a couple of weeks, the roots will go down and then they'll come back. If you don't water enough, the roots turn around and come back up to where the water is. The roots don't go down deep. And, and you know what happens? When you come into God's house and start serving God and come to church, you, you start soaking up the Word, the water of the Word, you start enjoying it, but then you just come on Sunday morning or Sunday night. You don't get enough Word to get your roots deep. 
You're just sitting there going, oh, that's good. Okay, give me another drop of, ah, that was good. And you're spiritually anemic. You haven't learned. You've got to get the roots down there. I mean, where when the storms of life come and the offenses come, there's nobody here that's not going to get offended with someone. Don't hang your, your anger out there on, the, on your shoulder and say, knock it off. Go ahead. Why are people sometimes habitual offenders? Because they put themselves in positions to be that way. Let the storms push your roots deeper. Someone told me one time the sweetest oranges in Florida come from the coldest winters. Some of the sweetest Christians I know have gone through some of the toughest times in life. And you know what they've done? They've let God's grace make them sweet. A lady in my church, her and her husband have a little baby that's crippled. They said the baby will last two weeks. I just preached a a Thanksgiving, two years for the baby. Both of them were mediocre Christians. They'll tell you that. They'd come up here and tell you that tonight if they were here. And they let this affliction in their life make them sweeter. That little baby is only about this big and not much more than skin and bones. And, And the body's not put together properly. The brain is not growing. But they say every day is something to rejoice about. Every day is sweeter and sweeter. Those afflictions made them sweeter. I have a lady, she comes to church every service. Her son, is, uh, he's got, a, he's got a, a physical problem and a mental problem. He's in a wheelchair. He's up, he's up uh, 18 hours a day, and she's got to be up with him. And she pushes him in church, and, and, and he comes in. You know, I have never heard her in years and years and years ever one time complain about problems. I mean, her son is twice as big as she is, and she's got to wrestle him out of the chair and wrestle him on the floor and wrestle him at the table and wrestle him. And, and you know, she just says, hey, she's one of the sweetest Christians you'll ever meet. Those trials make you sweet if you respond properly. You've heard people say you either get better or you get bitter. James chapter 1. I, I'm here to say, let people storms have their perfect work in your life. I had a couple of phone calls today. Storms from people. The Bible says in James 1, My brethren, count it all joy. <laughs> Can you just stop back and say, boy, it's, it's just wonderful to be able to count. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. Don't give up right there, because let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven into the wind and tossed. Verse 12. What's the first word? I didn't hear you. What's the first word? If you're awake this morning, what's the first word? This evening, blessed is the man that endureth what? For when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, whom the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let let those storms push your roots deeper rather than facing the difficulties. People trying to escape the test. Face it. Fight it. God didn't create you. You know, this is the average Christian right here. The, the, the problem comes and they withdraw. They, they, they get away. They become, just by myself because it's safer this way. 
God did not create you to be independent. Anytime you're walking in independence, mark it down, there's a spiritual problem somewhere. You think it's just about you and, you know, life is just about you and we sulk and we cry, we feel sorry for ourselves, we become suspicious of other people. Ladies and gentlemen, grab the opportunity of affliction. Here we have, there's going to be misunderstandings. Cable, or cable, Cain and Abel. They only laugh. They don't laugh at the jokes. They just laugh when I make a mistake. That hurts. But I'm going to face it. All he had to do was humble himself and say, I messed up. Who hasn't messed up? It doesn't matter where you've fallen. It matters that you get up. You can go down low. You know what you can do? Let me tell you, I believe God can help you back up, but it requires you to humble yourself. And you look around and you say, well, I made a decision. I humbled myself. You've got to keep humbling yourself. Well, people are looking at me different. Hey, who cares? They're not forgiving. God's forgiven you. Now get up. Keep humbling yourself. Keep humbling yourself. And in time, trust will increase. And, and as you humble yourself in the grace of God, He'll work to your heart. You'll make progress and go forward. But most people said, I humbled myself once, and that's it. They keep bringing up the past. Start over. You messed up. God's grace is sufficient. Get up. Quit looking around like everybody's God and they're going to forgive you. God's forgive you to humble yourself every service and move on and it'll get behind you. Because if you don't, you know what you'll do? Is you'll become a vagabond. And you'll run and you'll run and you'll run. Almost every week someone says this, I don't think I can get up here. I've got to leave my family. I've got to leave my job. I've got to leave my church. You never succeed transplanting yourself. You succeed planting yourself. Have you ever caught yourself running when you should be planting? Every time you take a plant out of the soil and transplant it, and then transplant it again, and transplant it again, do you know what happens? It gets weaker and weaker and weaker. And Satan and his sin becomes more deceitful and more deceitful and more deceitful. He'll tell you you've fallen, you're discouraged. When you get discouraged, it just tells you your self-love is damaged. Just pride, let it go. Pride's not that valuable. You've got enough for, for next week. I mean, it's like a beard. You've got to shave it every day. Just pride is just ego. It's not that important. Let her go. And the devil wants you to get discouraged and you're going to think, I can't get up. Listen closely. Don't get discouraged. Never think about giving up the ministry. Never think about giving up serving God. Never think about the opportunities of what we saw up there today, what God did this week because people made themselves willing. What God did, listen today closely, the angels around the throne envy your work because they can't do what you can do. So don't let the devil get you down. When you've hit the bottom, bounce up. Say, Pastor, I messed up before. Did God forgive you? I messed up again. Did God forgive you? The church is about people getting back up. 
success as a Christian is not about your perfection. It's about the forgiveness and grace of God. And the more you deal with what you, what you are and where you've been, guess what? The more progress you're going to make. We have this misconception. We say, hold it. I've been saved a year or two years or three years and now I should be like Mrs. Lewis. I, I took the Mrs. Lewis spiritual pill seven a week, one in the morning, one at night, and I find I still have problems. You have Mrs. Lewis problems now. We have this idea that, at least I do, maybe you don't, that we're going to conquer all of our problems and we're going to be good in a few months. Try 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. I look at people that are successful Christians. I say successful. You know what that means? They're still going forward. I have a high level of respect for uh, Christians who have, a, who have a, a, a lot of longevity because, guess what? They fought more battles and they just kept going on. The difference between you and, or them and, and, and the spiritual vagabond, one quit, one kept going. I'm here to rejoice tonight with what God did this week. But I'm here to say one thing. People I see growing are people that face the mirror and deal with the problem instead of becoming a spiritual vagabond. I can rejoice today. I've got some men in my church. I'm telling you, they're not perfect. But you know what they've done? They've come and said, Pastor, here's my problem. How do I deal with it? They took the advice, they did it, and it changed their family, changed their life. And then there's some men, they got problems, real problems, real problems. But on the outside, they want to look like perfect Christians. On the inside, atomic bombs are going off in their home. But they're posturing really pretty. And everybody knows about their problem. Instead of facing it and humbling themselves, saying, look, i got a problem. They're ducking, they're bobbing, they're weaving. Nobody can see who I really am, but everybody can, can't they? Who cares? Just face it and quit running. Father, thank you for the grace of God. Tonight, the one thing I know is that you have an answer for our problems. In every country I've been, I've seen spiritual vagabonds. And it's a terrifying place to be. People will be there 15, 20 years, some people running their whole life. Now, Lord, I pray tonight we could stop and face the music. Quit running, quit transplanting. Quit being tempted by the offers the devil has. Say, no matter what problems come, help us to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Father, we thank you for brethren that love you today and sisterin that are here today. They're in love with an almighty God. We thank you that we have a sweetness in the family of God. Father, we don't want to see the devil get one more victory in anybody's life. Bless, I pray, our obedience in Jesus' name. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.